Well, good morning, Bay Shore. It's so good to see everybody. We're so glad to be together this morning uh, via our online service. And hey, let me just say how much we miss you guys. We love you and we're thinking about you. And I see so many great things happening around the Bay Shore family. I see people calling each other and praying for each other and just incredible things are happening. So the Spirit of the Lord is still holding us together as a church. So we're just so grateful that we're held together by the Spirit of the Lord and what he's doing in our, in our church. So it's so good to be together today. Hope you've had a great week, and we're excited about being together this morning. So today we are in part two of a series um, Joel began last week called I Need a Miracle. And we're looking at the stories in the book of John uh, that Jesus, uh, these miracles and signs he did to verify that he was the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God. And so John, this incredible disciple, he put together this incredible book called the book of John. And in the book of John, he chose seven, seven specific miracles. Jesus did a lot of miracles, 32, 40 miracles, something like that. Uh, but John took seven miracles that helped point people to see who Jesus really was. So we're excited today to talk about a great miracle in the Gospel of John in John chapter 4. And what I want to do is just dive right in and read this story. And it's a great, great miracle because we're believing God to do great things in your life today and great things in the whole Bayshore community family today. John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. And here's how the story goes. It's not a long story, but let me read it to you and then we'll dive in to what this story means. John 4, 46 through 54. Once more, he, speaking of Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time that his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. What an amazing story. This is a story about a miracle that is a miracle that someone needs not for themselves, but for somebody else that they love. So this is a different kind of miracle. Sometimes miracles are about things that we need personally, things that we need. Maybe we need a new job, or maybe we, you know our boyfriend broke up with us. We're trying to sort our way through life, and we need God to kind of help us to show us the next thing. Or maybe you know something in our personal life that we need the Lord to help us with. That's a one type of miracle, and that's a very, very pertinent type of miracle for many of us. Many times, all of us face different things that we're thinking about, worrying about, and so we have... Uh, to ask the Lord to help us, and we need his intervention and his help in our life personally. But sometimes we need a miracle for somebody that we love. 
somebody that's close to us, somebody that's very dear to us. And so we begin to think about, you know, what can God do to help my son or my daughter or my spouse or my father or my mother or someone that's very close to us. So some miracles are not miracles that we need for ourselves, but they're miracles that we need for somebody else. So I think we can all relate to that. Everybody listening today can think of somebody in your life that you've been very concerned for, you've been very upset about it, you've been praying for them and believing God to do something in their life. And uh, I know many of us can relate to that part of the story. But the story here is about a father that's concerned about his son. His son is very ill. We know from the story it's a little boy, and the little boy is really sick, close to death, the Bible says. And so this, this father is so concerned and so worried that he comes to Jesus. He's actually, he lives in Capernaum, which is, if you think about the Holy Land, where the, where the Sea of Galilee is, Capernaum is right at the, uh, the top of the Sea of Galilee, and he travels 25 miles we don't know if by foot or if he had a horse uh, or how he got there, but 25 miles he went because he heard Jesus was in Cana, and he went there, and he, be- and he begged and beseeched Jesus to help his child. You know, there's something about a parent's love for their children. You know, there's nothing like, you know, being concerned about children. If you're a parent, many of you are parents and you're listening to this today and you got little kids, some of you got big kids, some of your kids are grown up. But the bottom line is if you're a parent, it seems like it's your job to worry about your kids, to worry about your kids. You're always concerned about them. It doesn't matter how old they get, you know. Uh, when they're little, you're worried about them getting on the road or you're worried about something happening to them at school. But it w- doesn't matter how old your kids are, you're always worried about them. I remember when, uh, whenever I would go on a trip, my mom, you know, I'd be in my 50s and my mom would say, you know, Karen and I were going to be going on a trip and I would, uh, you know, tell my mom we were going to go somewhere to tell my mom and dad. And uh, she would always say this, and maybe you can relate to this. She would say, as soon as you get there, as soon as you get there, call me to make sure you're okay. How many of you can relate to that? How many have parents that when you go on a trip, you know, here you are 50 years old or you're maybe 40 years old, 30 years old. You're a grown adult. You are clothed and in your right mind, but your parents want to know that you're okay when you get there. So I said, okay, mom, I'll give you a call. We're only going to Georgetown. We're going to the Walmart. You know, I'll give you a call when I get there. But anyhow, we all have those, uh, those things where we're concerned about our kids. Karen and I, when we go on our date on Friday, Friday's our, our date day now, there's not much to do. You know, you can't go to the movies, can't go to any stores, but we go to a get carry out and we go somewhere in park and look at the beach. But on our date day on Friday, uh, we spend a lot of time on our date day talking about our kids. How are our kids doing? How are, how are our sons doing? How are their wives doing? How are the grandkids doing? And so much of our time is occupied with talking about our kids. And so it's something innate in all of us that are parents that we're concerned about our kids. And we're worried about them. And so in this story, we see this. We see this dynamic where this father is so distraught about his son that's ill. So he comes to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and brings that son to Jesus. So it's a miracle. Miracle not for himself personally, but a miracle for somebody else. So I think most of us can relate to praying for, believing for, asking God to help somebody other than ourselves. Maybe it's a son or daughter that's not doing well. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's someone, your dad or your mom. And you know, if you love somebody, and and there's nothing like family love. 
when you have somebody in your family that you love, when you love somebody, you naturally pray for them when they're in trouble. It's not like you have to write it on a list and make yourself pray for them and kind of come up with a discipline. Hey, I need to pray five times for my loved one. When I take my walk and my prayer time uh, every day, there are certain people that I love so much, I just naturally pray for. I naturally pray for because I'm concerned for them. So in this story, we see that uh, this, this, uh, this, this nobleman, this uh, kind of like well-to-do person, he comes to Jesus on behalf of somebody else. What's interesting about the story to me is that uh, this guy is, the Bible says, it says, it calls him in the, uh, the NIV, the New International Version, calls him a royal official, a royal official. Now, what does that mean? Uh, evidently, this man worked for Herod. Herod was a guy named Herod Antipas. If you want to know a little bit about uh, biblical history there, New Testament history, there was a guy that ran Galilee, was the son of Herod the Great, a guy named Herod Antipas. And this guy in the story worked for him. He was a, a government, governmental official. Not a, he was a person of, of standing, he was a person that was well-known. Probably everybody in Capernaum knew who this guy was. We don't have his name in the story, but he was well-known. He was a public official. He was somebody that uh, had political influence. He had friends in high places. He was wealthy because we know in the story that he had servants. And so this guy had money, he had power, and he had fame. He had money, he had power, and he had fame. But you know what's interesting to me about that? Is although he had money, although he had power, although he had fame, that did not insulate him from something happening in his family. See, it doesn't matter how rich we are. It doesn't matter how powerful we are politically. It doesn't matter how, uh, how well-known we are or how educated we are. At the end of the day, we are all a part of the human family. We are all part of the human family. And our money and our prestige and our political influence, our standing in society cannot give us immunity from things that happen in life. Why is that? Because we're human. We're human. And I've been thinking about COVID-19 as we all have. I've been thinking about how some, one article I read said that COVID-19 is the great equalizer. It's the great equalizer. Meaning that everybody, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how positioned you are, you can become vulnerable to COVID-19. So I was thinking about some of the famous people that you all know and that I know that have been subject to COVID-19. And uh, here are some people that I think are interesting that may, may stand out to you. First of all, the first person I heard of that was famous that had COVID-19 was Tom Hanks and his wife Rita Wilson. Now, now, Tom Hanks, let's just face it, Tom Hanks is like the greatest male actor maybe ever. He's incredible. Uh, I don't know if you've seen his movie uh, on Mr. Rogers. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, I know some people don't like Castaway, but Castaway is one of my favorite movies. Only Tom Hanks, only Tom Hanks can spend two hours talking to a volleyball and make it interesting. But this guy, Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita, uh, they contracted, a, uh, contracted COVID-19 and they were isolated in Australia. Famous person, famous person that COVID-19 attacked. 
And I thought about some other people. Here's some other people, uh, some other actresses. Maybe this is not someone you know, but Olga Korolenko. Olga Korolenko, only 40 years old. This is her. She was one of the stars in one of the James Bond movies, Quantum Solace. So this young lady, uh, famous, rich French actress, was subjected to COVID-19, and she experienced that as well. Uh, Idris Elba. Idris Elba, what a great actor this guy is. If you've seen him in any shows or any movies, he's just absolutely incredible. And uh, he contracted COVID-19. How about this guy? I don't, I don't know if you ever watched uh, the Lost series. This is, this is Daniel Day Kim. Daniel Day Kim. How many, maybe you're listening and you remember the Lost TV series. You remember that series? It went on for seven years, seven seasons. Karen and I didn't miss a season. We watched every one of them. We got to the last season and we have no idea what that show was about. But anyhow, this guy, this famous guy, uh, well, uh, wealthy, uh, handsome, uh, well-positioned in society, he has COVID-19. How about some politicians uh, that we know? Uh, here's one, uh, Carmen Calvo. Carmen Calvo, she's the, the deputy uh, prime minister of Spain, which would be our equivalent, our equivalent to our vice president. So the vice president of Spain has COVID-19. And uh, by the way, this lady has a PhD in constitutional law. Incredibly educated woman. Uh, and if we go to Great Britain, we got Prince Charles. We all know about Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales. Here's Prince Charles. Uh, we all know that he had COVID-19. And, and interesting that Great Britain, the, pri uh, the, the Prince of Wales, and also their Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, who is 55 years old. Boris Johnson, he like always needs to comb his hair. Every time I see him, he just needs to comb his hair. But, you know, he contracted COVID-19, was put in the hospital. And when he was in the hospital, you know, it's just for observation. And then he worsened. And he was put in intensive care. This, the prime minister of England, of Great Britain, put in intensive care. And you know what he said? He said, the nurses, the nurses saved my life. And, and incredible, incredible uh, different people. Some, some incredible, uh, interesting uh, sports figures. I've got a whole bunch of these people I can mention. But let me just mention Von Miller. Von Miller uh, is the, uh, an outside linebacker for the Denver Broncos. And he was a MVP for the Super Bowl in 2015 when the Broncos beat uh, the Carolina Panthers. So you think about, think about this. I want you to think about in the story that we read today, the story that we were looking at, we have a nobleman. We have a nobleman that had political power, that had wealth, that had influence, that had uh, you know, status in society, but none of that protected him from the illness that affected his son. So it's important for us to remember that we are human. There is no, there's no amount of money. There is no amount of wealth. There's no amount of prestige. There's no amount of political power. There's no amount of any standing in society that can, influ that can insulate us or give us immunity from certain things. And so I think in that story, as I read this story, it really made me think about uh, the, that, that particular point and how important that is. And here's, here's what I believe that, that one of the big takeaways for COVID-19 is. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking a whole lot about it, as I know you have. All of you have been thinking about this. One of the things I've been thinking about is that what is the big takeaway? What is the big takeaway? What should we be learning 
through COVID-19? What should we be learning about the coronavirus? What, what are we supposed to be learning? Have you re- do you remember the quote by C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis, Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. His pain, our pain, is God's megaphone speaking to a deaf world. God is speaking. What is God saying to us in our pain? Now, I think about all the things that we're hearing, and I think uh, a lot of what we, are, we seem to be saying about this is, is very sentimental and very, very wonderful. The takeaway from COVID-19 is not this, although this is very good. It's not that if we all lock hands and just work together, we're going to get through this. Now, hey, that's good. That's really good. I love how this, is, this thing is bringing us together. That's one of the upsides of this. Uh, that's an incredible thing. But you know, the takeaway is not, hey, let's all lock arms and get, let the, let's let the spirit of humanity and the love of humanity bring us together so we can get through it. That's good, but that's not the big takeaway. The big takeaway is not that if we work hard enough, uh, you know, we're going to be okay. The big takeaway is not, hey, listen, we all needed to slow down anyhow, so this has given us an opportunity to slow down. And that's been a good thing. That is good. It's good that we've slowed down and we're enjoying our family more and we've got more time at home. Uh, that's all good, but that's not the big takeaway. You know what the big takeaway of COVID-19 is? The big takeaway of COVID-19 is that we all are human. We are human. And because we're human, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable. And we see that 180, uh, 180 million people around the world have died from this virus. And we see that almost 50,000 people in the U.S. have died from this virus. What is the takeaway? The takeaway is, is that we're human and we should be trembling and understanding our vulnerability as human beings. In the story we read today, We have a nobleman who has great political influence. He has great wealth. He has a great reputation. He has a great name. But none of that insulated him from this. So the big takeaway is that we are all made of dust. you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis, it says that God made man out of the dust of the ground. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, what dust is. You know, we're made out of dust. And, you know, I think it doesn't really, it doesn't seem to make sense. I don't know if you've ever tried to make anything out of dust, but dust doesn't, you, it's hard to form anything out of dust. I think it would have made more sense if it says God made us out of clay, but the Bible says he made us out of dust in chapter 2 of Genesis. But in chapter 3 of Genesis, after man had sinned, God said to Adam, he said, from dust you were made, and from dust you will, 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 will return. So the metaphor of dust about man being made of dust indicates that we're dust people. We're dust people. We are mortal people, and we are vulnerable to uh, many things that happen in life. And so that should humble us as we stand in the, in, on the, on the, on the, on the uh, edge of eternity, understanding how real God is, how wonderful the kingdom of God is, and how great eternity is, that we live on this planet just a little while. And I believe with all my heart, uh, and I love science, and I love the working that all the people that are working on a cure, and I believe we're going to get a cure to COVID-19. But you know, even when we get a cure to COVID-19, it's not going to cure us forever because we're going to die one day of something. 
And that is the, that's the lesson, that's the big lesson, that's the takeaway of COVID-19 is that we are dust people. We are made as dust people. We are just people. We're humans. And because we're humans, we are very susceptible to things. And so we need to, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. My wife Karen and I, we always have a big debate about uh, that verse where it says, I'm appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment in Hebrews 9.27. And she believes it's like, it's one day. I mean, you've got a day on the calendar in God's kingdom. I mean, up there in heaven, there's a big calendar and that's the day you're going to die. And I said, well, that's the, if that's the case, then, you know, I'm going to eat a lot more Doritos. I'm going to eat a lot more Dairy Queen Sundays. You know, I think if we take care of our bodies, we are going to live a little longer. But it doesn't matter how long you take care of, how well you take care of your body. You should do that. And you should, you know, try to stay in shape and you should work out. And I did a bunch of push-ups today and I'm trying to eat good and, and I'm trying to exercise. But, you know, with all of that, it's going to, I think it's going to make me uh, full of energy and help me to live longer. But it won't, ins- it won't ensure that I live forever. Because I am made of the dust and you're made of the dust. You're made of dust. I'm made of dust. And every time you see someone that's infected with some disease, or you see someone go away with something, regardless of their high stature in the community, it reminds us that we're human. And because we're human, it reminds us that we one day will stand on the edge of eternity and we'll step into eternity and we need, we need to be ready to meet the Lord who loves us and cares about us. Now, there's a great, uh, great verse in uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. One of the things that people have like, asked me and think, I know lots of preachers are being asked this question. And here's the question. Uh, that, that's being asked of people about COVID-19. Here's one of the things that people are saying. Is this God's judgment? Is this God's judgment on the world? Is this God's judgment for our waywardness and sin? Now, let me just tell you what my short answer is. And the short answer is no, it is not God's judgment. It is not God's judgment. But it is a wake-up call to us. And it's not God saying, I'm going to get you. or I'm going to do this to you. Here's what it is. The takeaway is that it's reminding us that we're but flesh. It's reminding us that we're dust people. It's reminding us, regardless of if we're 15 years old or if we're 95 years old, we're all made of dust and we're part of the human family. Here's a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, about this, about this idea. Is when something bad happens, is it God's judgment on us? And here's what it says in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 says, this is uh, uh, a conversation that the disciples had or some people had with Jesus. And it says in Luke 13, 1 through 5, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Jesus is reading their minds. This is what they're thinking. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And here's what, here's what that means. That means is Jesus is saying, do you think that these people died, that Pilate came in and killed all these people in a fit of rage? Do you believe they were killed because God was judging them? And that Jesus said, I tell you no, in verse 3. But unless you repent, you too, <clears throat> you too will all perish. 
Then he says in verse 4, are those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And here's what John A. Martin says about that verse, that section of Scripture. Jesus taught the crowds that calamity can happen to anyone because all are human. Jesus taught the crowds that calamity can happen to anyone because all are human. Now, that's, that is an incredible verse of Scripture in, in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. That's incredible because it answers this question. The question it answers is when something bad happens, is that God's judgment on people for their sinful ways? And the, Jesus said it's not. He said what it is. He said, he, said, uh, he said basically that, that you know, if you see somebody, something bad happen to somebody, a tsunami, a tsunami rapes out a, uh, a village, uh, you can't conclude that the, that was a sinful village and so God was judging that village. What Jesus was teaching us is that we all are human. We are all a dust people. We are mortal. I don't know if you know that term mortal. That's a term that you're familiar with. But the term mortal, we are mortal people. Mortal means that we're prone to death. That we all are prone to uh, something because we are human. So, hey, I don't know about you, but I want to live a long time. That's why I do my push-ups. That's why I play tennis. That's why I do all the things I do. But the big takeaway for this time in our life is to remember, is to remember, doesn't matter if you're a nobleman, doesn't matter who you are, you are vulnerable because you're human. Karen was uh, telling me she saw somebody uh, on Facebook that put on Facebook, they said, hey, as soon as COVID-19 is over, I'm going to go to the closest bar I can get to and I'm going to get smashed. I'm going to get drunk. Now, let me tell you something. There's a guy who's not got the memo. There's a guy who's not got the memo. Because there's a memo in COVID-19. And the memo is we are human. We are vulnerable. We are flesh. We'll quickly pass away. Let me read you one more scripture. uh, And then I got a few principles as we end our study today. But let me give you uh, another scripture. Uh, Psalm 103. Psalm 103 gives us a little bit of background about uh, what this is like, what, what, what uh, being uh, vulnerable is like. Psalm 103, I'll find it here in a second here. Here it is, Psalm 103, verses 13 uh, through 16. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Everybody out there in your living room, just say, I'm dust. I'm a dust person. I'm a dust man. I'm a dust woman. I'm made of dust. We should not forget that we're made of dust. Doesn't matter if you're the prime minister of Great Britain. Doesn't matter if you're Tom Hanks. Doesn't matter if you're a famous football player or basketball player. Doesn't matter who you are. You're made of dust. 
And the psalmist says, for he knows, in verse 14, how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower on the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone. And the transitness of life is what Psalms 103 is talking about. He said, we're like a plant. We're like grass. And, and you know, when the sun comes up, the grass is green. looks good for a while, and then it just kind of fades away. And he's given a commentary on human life. He's given a commentary on human life. Karen and I went to uh, Lowe's the other day. We were like bored stiff, as you, I know you are. You like want to get out of the house. And so we put our space, our, our space uniforms on, and we got all, you know, all ready. And we went in there with our mask and everything, and we, we bought a plant. And here's a plant that we bought. And I uh, just love this plant. And we hung it in the backyard. It's beautiful blue flower or purple flowers. And, uh, you know, and it's just, it looks great. It's amazing. But I know this plant, this plant's like me. Then I'm going to water it, take care of it, but sometime in August it's going to start getting a little brown. And if I don't water it good, it's going to start getting brown in July. And by September or October, that plan is gone. That plan is gone. Psalm says in 103, Psalm 103, that we are like the grass of the field that passes away. So what's the big takeaway? What's the big takeaway? The big takeaway is, hey, listen. You know, life is short, let's have a good time. Well, hey, I'm all about that. I think that is a good takeaway, but that's not the takeaway. I'm, I'm enjoying life more than ever. I'm enjoying my grandkids. My grandkids are with me at my house, and my, my, son, and J- my son Joel and Stacy, we're playing games, and we're having fun, and we're riding bikes, and we're having a wonderful time. I'm enjoying life. But the takeaway of COVID-19 is not simply, hey, let's slow down, let's enjoy life. That's a good takeaway, but that's not the main takeaway. The main takeaway is, is that we are like a plant. We're like a plant. We're transient. We're vulnerable. So, hey, listen, I'm, I can't wait till the cure comes. I can't wait till we get it all, and I can't wait till all that happens. But I know this, we're, we're going to have a vaccine. We're going to be okay with that. That's all going to work out, but someday... Because we are dust people, because we're mortal, we're going to not sustain our life and we're going to die. And when we die, the Bible says very clearly, the Bible's not ambiguous about this, the Bible's very clear, it's appointed unto man once to die. It's inevitable. And then the judgment. That means I'm going to stand before a holy God who created the universe, a God who knows everything about me, and I'm going to give an account of my life to him. And so that's the takeaway. The nobleman in the story was a rich man. The nobleman in the story was a, a man of influence. He was a man of power. He was a man of wealth. But none of that insulated him from the reality of the vulnerability of being human. That's an incredible, incredible insight. Muhammad Ali, the great boxer, uh, you know, he was uh, known for his arrogance, and I uh, used to love to watch Muhammad Ali box when I was a kid growing up. And, of course, his original name was Cassius Clay, and, uh, but Muhammad Ali uh, was on an airplane one day, and he was uh, sitting in, an, uh, in, in his seat there in the airplane. Stewardess or flight attendant came to him, and she said, Mr. Ali, you need to put your seatbelt on. And Ali, in his uh, signature arrogance, says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. 
To which the flight attendant quipped back, Superman don't need no airplane either. So it doesn't matter if you think you're Superman. doesn't matter if I think I'm Superman. None of us are Supermen. None of us are Superwomen. We're all vulnerable. We need to be ready. I love this story because this story shows us that a nobleman had to come to Jesus for help. And the Bible says the greatest miracle in the story, this little boy got healed in the story. I love the story. The little boy got healed uh, because and, and a great little principle in the story about healing. Number one is that healing sometimes happens the way you don't, it happens in a different way than you think it's going to happen because this man expected Jesus to come to his house and lay his hands on his little boy, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, Jesus just gave him word. He said, your son will live. And then he went away on the word of his of what Jesus said to him. And so the miracle had a different shape than what he thought. So when you're thinking about a miracle, remember, let God shape it the way he wants to shape it. But the big, uh, incredible part of this story is that the nobleman and his whole family believed in Jesus and they became disciples of Jesus. There was a great healing in the story. The healing of the story is incredible, but the greatest miracle in the story is that this rich politician, this rich nobleman, this well-known political figure, when he saw that Jesus was real, he put his faith in Jesus, and he and his whole family believed in Jesus, and they became followers of Jesus. Now, let me ask you, as you think about your mortality, as you think about your vulnerability, as you think about the brevity of life, the brevity of life, when you think about that, and you get the lesson of COVID-19, that you are but a dust person, when you get that lesson, and you say in your heart, I know, Lord, that you're real, and I know that my time on this earth, I'm going to enjoy it and serve you and have a great life on this earth, but I know it's just that long, but eternity is this long, and I want to be ready to meet you. So, you know, you need to say to yourself today, Lord, I want you to become my Lord. I want you to become my Savior. I want to put my faith in you. I'm tired of living my life on my own. I'm tired of living my life independently. And I want to put my full trust in you to follow you. So this morning, as you hear this message, or whenever you're listening to this message, you can be in your car, you can be at your kitchen table. You can be in your bedroom. And maybe you've heard a lot about the gospel. You've heard a lot of sermons. It doesn't matter how many sermons you ha- have heard. It doesn't matter how many Hillsong songs you've sung. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. What really matters is you have put your faith in Jesus. And so I want to pray with you today to do that. And if you want to put your faith in Jesus today and pray with me as I pray uh, with you at the end of this, uh, this, end of this message, if you let me know, let us know uh, at the end of this message, somebody will let you know exactly how to contact us. I'd like to send you a Bible a free Bible. This is a great Bible, NIV Bible. It's got big print. We'd like to send you a Bible today. We'd like to help you in your faith as you begin to follow Jesus. And if, you, if you're going to pray that prayer today with me, uh, just let us know, and we're going to send you a Bible, and we are on your side. We're going to be praying for you here at Bayshore. Let's pray together right now. In your homes, wherever you are, if you just lift up your hands right now, wherever you are, just lift up your hands and just say this to the Lord. Lord, I know that I am human. 
I know that I'm but dust. I know that I'm standing on the edge of eternity because I'm a dust person, because I'm human. And so, Lord, I ask you to prepare my heart for eternity because I know I'm not just made to live a good life on this planet to have a good time, but I recognize that my time is limited and I want to be in right relationship with you so I can serve you all the days of my life. And here's what you do. You say, Lord Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I repent of my sins. My sins have left me empty time and time again. And so I turn from those sins and I put my faith in you, Jesus. I make you the Lord of my life and I receive you as my Lord. I believe that you're powerful, Jesus. I believe you've been raised from the dead and I put my full faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, let us know. We're going to send you a Bible. And uh, listen, don't, don't miss next week. Uh, next week we've got part three of I Need a Miracle. And don't forget, Tuesday night we have a great Couch Fest coming up with uh, Jen and Nate Williams. So love you guys, and we'll see you soon.